everything, right? Uh, he, he doesn't elaborate on anything. Uh, he doesn't offer Nineveh any kind of contingency. He just simply says, you're doomed, right? He doesn't uh, say, you know, if you really, if you would just change this behavior, there's no invitation to, to say a prayer or, or there, there's no hope in this sermon. He doesn't, he doesn't mention the reason. Even, he doesn't even tell Nineveh the reason they're going to be overthrown. And he doesn't even mention the one behind it. Jonah's sermon to Nineveh doesn't even include If you look carefully, it's not much of a sermon at all. It's more like a death sentence. That word destroyed or, or overthrown, 40 days and you will be overthrown, that's a Sodom and Gomorrah word. You guys remember that story? That's a, it was never a part of my life or tradition, but there, there used to be this, this and, and I guess maybe it still exists, but have you ever heard of hellfire? damnation preaching that's jonah like right there right some of you are way too familiar with this <laughs> maybe we need to bring this tradition back i don't know but that's what he says he says nineveh you're done with you're through and we're supposed to go ah Jonah, I thought, I thought you and God were on the same page in this thing. Maybe we should look again. What I see from Jonah is that, sure, okay, God has called him a second time, and credit, Je Jonah actually does get to Nineveh. But what does he have to offer? I mean, I, th I see him grudgingly offering, doing the bare minimum. It's like when I ask my daughter to clean her room, that she has a very broad definition of what that means, you know? Um, or very, very loose definition, maybe. He does the least, the absolute least of what is requested of him, and nothing more. And I think there's some foreshadowing in this. If you read on in chapter 4, you'll see a little bit more, but maybe Jonah and God aren't on the same page still and there's been a million jokes about this his short five-word sermon is the most effective sermon in the history of the world right and i don't know if that's a message for us to preach shorter i don't know yeah see God calls Nineveh the, it's, he doesn't call it the city. He says Nineveh, the great city. But for the rest of the world, and we've talked a little bit about this, for the rest of the world, Nineveh was known as the bloody city. Everything about Nineveh is R-rated. Uh, the prophet Nahum later calls the city vile, full of lies and booty, a lion's den, a harlot. The Sir Assyrians who had control of Nineveh at this time was kind of their their hub had a cruel and bloody reputation. They loved to share and, and boast about their cruelty. They had parades of severed heads where family members were required to carry 
the, the head of the, their family member. They stretched live prisoners with ropes so they could skin them alive. They had piles of dismembered body parts and children thrown into fires. There's even, even stories of them bragging about dismemberment, of, of, uh, of literally dismembering every part of a body except for the hand so they could shake the hand as the person dies. Who has Nineveh on their like vacation wish list, right? In Nahum chapter 3, verse 19, uh, it says, There is no healing for your wound. Speaking of Nineveh, your injury is fatal, and all who hear of your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty? All right, so now maybe Jonah's sermon makes a little more sense, right? Jonah marches into the bloody city with a death sentence, and the whole world watching applauds. The whole world thinks, finally, Nineveh is going to get exactly what they, what? Yeah. And, and. The people of the world can't wait. And that's when the real miracle of Jonah's story happens. The miracle of Jonah's story has nothing to do with a storm or a fish or a plant. The real miracle of Jonah's story is from five words. The most vile, bloody, evil city in existence experiences sweeping reform and repentance. Did you see that? The urgency and depth of the repentance is so widespread that it extends from the king himself all the way down to the animals. Did you catch that line? The king actually, when he hears this message from Jonah, the king actually comes off his throne, takes off all of his royalty, and does what? He puts on the elements of mourning and repentance. He puts on burlap and he sits in a pile of ashes, which just can't be comfortable. They don't just say they're sorry, but, but they, they fully embrace this idea of repentance, this whole turn. And the people demonstrate their repentance they, by changing their behavior. They, they don't just apologize, but, but they declare a fast, and the fast extends all the way to the animals. I'm sure Peter loved this. Like, nobody gets to eat or drink. The rabbis in the, uh, in the history and the legends of the rabbis, they, they, they talk about the repentance that Nineveh expresses, and, and they use one example they, they go so far to say that the repentance was so profound that people who found even one brick had been taken unjustly, just, just one brick had been taken unjustly from someone else, that they would tear down the entire house to remove that one brick and return it. That's the depth of the repentance, of the, of the, of the new stance that they take. And all of this, without any kind of hope or assurance that God would care or notice or pay attention, right? Even the king says himself, 
Who can tell? Who knows? We may do all of this and it may mean nothing. But perhaps even yet, God will change his mind. And the real miracle of Jonah is that God does. If you look carefully in the Old Testament, you see this happen again and again. Uh, Solomon's son, Solomon overwhelmingly, at least in Chronicles account, Solomon is, is a great king. And Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. You got, I don't know if you guys remember this story. Rehoboam comes, and Rehoboam is not a great king. And God sends another prophet, not Jonah this time, but he sends a prophet named Shemaiah to speak to Rehoboam. And he tells Rehoboam, he says, Man, you have turned from God, and God has turned from you, and you will be destroyed. You know what Rehoboam and all of his nobles and all of his leaders do? They follow like Nineveh. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They humble themselves before the Lord. And, and that, he uses that exact same phrase in Jonah. It says, and God changes his mind. So there are two great messages that, uh, that come out of Jonah, that uh, come out of chapter 3 especially. There is a message for those who are far from God, and there is a message here for the people of God. So I'm going to start with the obvious one, the message for those who are far from God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're trapped in, in sin and in lies. Maybe you're experiencing some, some real pain and brokenness. Man, every, this, this church has, has a touch it with every category of sinfulness and brokenness. There's, there's not one sin that hasn't been represented in this place. And what I would tell you is that I don't care how far you've fallen or what sins you have committed. The prodigal father wants all of his children to return to him. Even God, if you look in the very last verse, the very last line of the book of Jonah, God says, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? You see, God wants all of his children to return to him. It runs through the whole course of this book. It is his single greatest desire, and he sent his own son for this very purpose. Amen? Amen? He is a God of second chances. Nineveh got a second chance. And they were worse than you. And if they're worse than you, and God can change his mind, he can, he can change his mind about you too. What I would tell you is I don't care how far you've fallen, repentance is possible. It's going to take more than, than a, I'm sorry. It's going to be evident in your behavior. But the message for those who are far from God is, is simply an invitation. I invite you today to repent and turn to God. And when you do, he will always be there for you. Amen?
All right, so some of you need that message, and you need to, you need to take that message and, and just, just hold on to it. But there's another message here. There's a message for those who are far from God, but there's also a message here for the people of God. So let's play a game. Uh, we're going to play a game, and the game is called Name That City. Got it? All right, so Lynn's going to put a city on the screen, and then I'm going to give you a chance to name it. All right, so what city is this? It's L.A., I heard it. L.A., good. All right, so I'll put some easy ones in here first. All right, so I'm just warming you up. All right, so let's go to the next city. This is on my wish list. Not Hawaii, not Sydney. It's not Rio. Man, nobody sees the World Cup Stadium right then. You guys hurt my feelings. Where's my wife at? Where's one place I want to go? Yep, South Africa. I want to go swim with the white sharks. Cape Town. That's it. I heard it. Nice. Yes. Sorry. All right, let's get a little more challenging. In China. Yeah, Beijing. That's Beijing. All right, the next one. I put a flag up there. I'm looking at Merwin because he should know this. It's New Delhi. That's right. All right. This is the second largest city in the world right now. More than 10 million people live in this city. South America. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It feels like it. In Brazil, this is Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. All right, just a few more. All right. Where is this one? I can tell you the name of the city, and you still won't know where it is. It's Pyongyang. Ah, North Korea. That's right. This is the capital of North Korea. Everybody's favorite, right? All right, let's do one more. Last one. It's in the Middle East. Not Istanbul, no. I'll give you a hint. Jonah was called to go there. <laughs> Today it goes by the name of Mosul. Mosul. Uh, it's in northern Iraq. And uh, this is actually an older picture uh, uh, it's actually hard to find a really pretty picture of Mosul today, and this is purely just a side note because most of it has been destroyed through uh, ISIL and different groups like that. But yeah, this is what Mosul could look like or has looked like in the past. All right, so looking at all of these pictures, I just want to remind you, just just as a reminder, um, uh, and, and maybe a question first. Uh, it, you guys, any of you ever been to any of these places? Ever been to some? Yeah, okay. We've got a few. You got any of these places on your wish list? <laughs> There's a whole back row back there that just went. <laughs> I just want to remind you, um, when when you... 
look at the world, when God, when God looks at the world, he doesn't see lines on a map. Just think about this. God doesn't see countries. Uh, he, d- he doesn't see, see race or, or ethnicity. When God looks at the world, he sees his beloved children. God sees his children in L.A., God sees his children in Cape Town. God sees his children in Beijing and in New Delhi and Sao Paulo. God sees his children in North Korea. And God sees his children in Iraq. And his core desire is for each and every one of his children to return to him. That's his desire. What's yours? You see, Jonah holds up in front of us a really uncomfortable mirror. You see, at no point does Jonah exhibit or express any measure of care or concern or compassion for the people of the great city of Nineveh. Even God says, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? But Jonah does not. You see, his version, Jonah's version of faith, has no room for Nineveh. His version of being a follower of God has no room for the people of Nineveh. His version of of being a follower of God has no room for outsiders, it has no room for sinners, it has no room for the broken. It has no room for the evil. Does yours? What is your, genuinely, genuinely, what is your attitude towards the people of the great cities of the world? A startling reminder, I think, of Jonah 3 is is that maybe we don't care about the people of Nineveh any more than Jonah did. There's this season that has come to, uh, uh, it's been around for a while in in our culture. Uh, we We even use this language of my relationship with God. How much have you heard this? about my personal relationship with God. And, and in some ways, we have, we have taken God and we have, we've, you know, self-centered him. That, that, that the God that matters is the God that's going to help me. The God that matters is the God that is going to work on me. The God that matters is the, is the God that's actually going to work for me, right? We've isolated and narrowed down God for us. Us alone. How many of you sat here, sit here this morning, hoping that you would be fed, that you would be cared for? And, I, and I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but I'm saying I, I don't know that that's the whole heart of God. What is your attitude towards the people of the great cities of this world? 
Could you care less? Or do you desire for them to know God, to know the hope and life that he offers? Now, not, not just... just not just do you desire for everyone to know God, because I think overwhelmingly most Christians would say, yeah, sure, I desire for everyone to know God. But do you desire it enough? Do you desire for them to know God enough that, uh, that it means to, that you yourself would take the message of God to them? Right? That, like that's a whole different level. Do you desire it enough to take that message to them yourself. Because I, I think actually that's, that's, that's exactly what God asks us to do. It's, it's not to just wish well or wish God somehow on everyone, but it is to carry the message of God to everyone. That, in fact, that's Jesus' commission to us in Matthew 28, where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I love what it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. This is our task. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of, what's that word? Reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through preachers, right? God is making his appeal through uh, biblical theologians, right? God is making his appeal through Christian authors. This is God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You see, the people of God exist for the sake of the people of the world. I have one more picture for you. Name that city. <laughs> um, had a weird moment this morning. This morning, as we were standing in the hall, um, the, the the director of the Islamic Center, uh, the Islamic Welcome Center for Franklin, came to Aspen Grove this morning. Do you guys know that? Maybe some of you met him. Um, super nice guy. Uh, I, I don't know if, how you feel about this, and this may make you feel really weird. But the Islamic Center for Franklin, the the Mosque of Franklin, for for lack of better words, is four doors down from us. Uh, we know a little bit about this. They, they sent us a welcome card when they moved in. We sent them a welcome card back. There's, there's been some small, slight communication. I can tell you that uh, the mosque of Franklin gets more bomb and death threats than any other place in, in the entire city. And so the, the leader of uh, the Islamic Center showed up at our, just randomly walked in at our doors this morning and he's, he, he wanted me to invite you, and so I'm going to do this, next Sunday, 
they're having open mosque day at the Islamic Center of Franklin. And he wanted us to be invited. So you're invited. And then he said, can we use your parking lot? <laughs> um, so what should I tell him? Yeah, for sure. I already did. So if you don't feel good about that, sorry. Yeah. Um, we joke we're going to write Jesus loves you in every parking space. I don't know. Let me ask you again, what is your attitude towards the people of the great cities of the world? Man, Nashville is filled with every tribe and tongue and nation and people. We've got a really unique mission here because, frankly, we don't have to go anywhere. They're all coming to us, right? Some of, some of you are, are them, right? We have an incredible opportunity. Here we sit in the great city of Nashville. And here's what I would tell you. We cannot claim to be the people of God and ignore the call of God. We are called to make disciples we are called to be ambassadors. We are called in the name of Christ to reconcile the world to God. And I hope that one of the pictures you see out of Jonah chapter 3 is that in the same way God called a reluctant Jonah, he is calling you. He's calling us. I'm going to give you one more challenge and, uh, in just a minute. And, and I want you to take this challenge with you as, as we head to a time of communion. For us, uh, this space is, is, is a response space. So if there's ways we can pray for you or, or serve you, I'm just going to move to the back. I, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. We, we want to do that. If, if there's stuff going on in your life and in your heart, man, we, we want the opportunity to, to pray for you for sure. Uh, and, and then secondly, while that's happening, uh, around the room are the tables of communion, uh, the tables of the Lord's Supper started by Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It is to take the bread and the cup and to uh, uh, remember him, remember his sacrifice, his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection for us. This is, this is a great moment to not just, okay, I heard this teaching. It's a great moment to really internalize it and say, okay, God, how are you speaking to me? How are you speaking to my heart? And, and to really challenge yourself of what can you do about it? So here's your challenge. We cannot be the people of God and ignore the call of God. And so as you go into this communion space, I, I just want to give you, give you this word. I want you to think about the people in your life who are far from God, maybe people who don't have a faith. I want you to picture them, and, and maybe in memory of Jonah's five-word sermons, I want you to write down five names. Who are five names of people that you know in the great city of Nashville who are far from God? 
And, and, I, and I want you to, uh, if you want to be really brave, if you want to be a, get extra credit, write those five names in the front cover of your Bible. Spend this time praying for those names. But pray for you too. Sometimes I think we get into this thing of, well, man, I'm just waiting for just the right moment. I'm waiting for just the right opportunity. I'm waiting. The opportunity is God has called you to do this. The stars don't have to be in line for you to follow the call of God. So I want you to think of five names and write them down. And, uh, and, I, and I want you to answer that call. Create an opportunity this week.